Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. I would love to introduce you all to Caitlin Martin and Megan McSherry, pretty much two of the coolest people I've ever met. Caitlin is a footwear product line coordinator at Vans, and Megan is a sustainable and ethical life and style blogger working on her master's degree from the University of Southern California School of Business. In my opinion, they are both style and sustainability icons. If you are interested in learning more about sustainable fashion, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. All right, today I'm super excited because this is my first episode with two guests. So welcome, Caitlin and Megan. I'm really looking forward to today's episode because I feel like sustainable fashion has become more of a mainstream topic over the past few years, but we still have a lot of progress to be made. And you're both working on a daily basis to try and decrease the carbon footprint of the fashion industry. So I'm really eager to hear both of your perspectives. Uh, Before we dive in, can you both introduce yourselves and give a little bit of background about yourselves? I can go first. (laughs) Um, So my name is Megan, Megan McSherry. And I started kind of getting interested in sustainable fashion in when I came to college. I started a fashion blog in high school in 2012. So it's almost been eight years now. And I loved fast fashion. And when I came to college, I had to write a paper about issues with sustainability in fashion. And so that kind of changed my whole perspective. And since then, I've continue my blog talking all about sustainable and ethical fashion issues in that industry. That also got me interested in supply chain management. So I'm finishing my master's in global supply chain management this semester. And I think that for me was the most direct way that I could make an impact in the industry, just looking at suppliers and production and things like that. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. And for me, my name is Caitlin Martin, a recent graduate of University of Georgia, which is how Jaco and I are so well acquainted. (laughs) Um, We met whenever I was able to intern in the university's Office of Sustainability, so working on waste reduction and diversion um, and really just spreading campus outreach around that. I was also able to work with the county government and their recycling division, as well as partner with a hotel and conference center to kind of lay out a list of suggestions on their path to being more sustainable and how that can be customer facing um, and not. And then most recently and interestingly, I had an internship with Vans, the footwear company, um, as their sustainability and social responsibility intern. And now I am working in footwear merchandising for them. So. There's definitely been a lot of changes within the last couple of years and a long lineage of how everything around my interest in sustainability and fashion meshed together, but it's led me here. So it's all a positive thing. Awesome. So you both hit on it a little bit, but I'm interested to find out how you both 
realized the intersection between sustainability and fashion? Yeah, so I had a pretty direct introduction to sustainability and fashion. As I mentioned, just in college, literally the first paper I ever wrote at school at USC was issues with sustainability in the fashion industry. And my professor actually recommended that I watch the True Cost documentary, which for a lot of people, that's their introduction into sustainable fashion. And from there, I just felt like I couldn't go on continuing to shop the way that I was shopping. And so I just did an insane amount of research. I followed a ton of sustainable bloggers on uh, Instagram and just tried to learn kind of as much as I can. But yeah, I really was introduced to it through a class, my freshman writing class, funny enough. Interesting. Yeah, I have very similar experience where because I did dual enrollment, I was able to start a lot of my sort of like major elective courses freshman year. So I was in a class, society and culture, and it really was solidifying the things that I cared about the fashion industry, like how it affects people over time and how the longevity of it like stays and just how like adorning and modifying the body is a really beautiful thing. And it's really interesting to study. And then I'd change classes and I'd go into another one where it was about fashion and it was related to merchandising and exactly everything that I knew my degree entailed, but it just all seemed trivial whenever I was coming from the perspective of like a deeper appreciation of the industry. So, you know, at that point, whenever we started talking about like the seasonality of trends and planned obsolescence, I think that term in general really hit me hard. And the fact that we're planning for obsolescence is an issue. So I kind of just found my intersection literally with that term. And I think ever since then, I've just been trying to, you know, reduce my own consumption and, you know, hopefully provide an outlet and a means of information to other people on how they can do the same. Could you elaborate a little bit on what that term means? Yes. So basically with, I mean, I feel like with any product being made, but especially in fashion and fast fashion, you know, you have the basically a, you know, you have this graph and you have like early adopters and you have the people that are innovating. And then you have sort of this midpoint where you get more mass consumerism interested and you're at the peak of where a lot of people start observing fast fashion trends. And then it starts to go down and down. And basically the planned obsolescence is just understanding that people really won't be intrigued or satisfied with something for a long period of time and that there always has to be something on the come up but at the current rate of the fashion industry now you know it's something like a season basically dropping every week so that's where the issue arises with that obsolescence yeah that was something that also kind of struck me i was a business major in undergrad and then and my master's is pretty much just operations and so thinking about so many of the issues in the fashion industry like costs being squeezed and suppliers not being able to treat their workers fairly or pay them fairly a lot of that stems from the way that the business of fashion functions and it just felt so strange like in my free time talking about sustainable fashion and all these wonderful things and then going into my classes and learning how to minimize costs for orders. 
Um, so I think that just fueled my interest in sustainable fashion even more. You both have hit a little bit on the many issues that are associated with fast fashion. Could you explain for the listeners what exactly fast fashion means and what that entire industry entails? I just have a short sentence that I was thinking about earlier, but fast fashion is oversimplified, basically just like a means to an end. Um, And I mean, it's literally like if you want to describe, you know, consumerism or capitalism to someone, you can reference the industry. And I think they can use a little bit of deductive reasoning with that. But go ahead. Yeah. And I've always thought about it in terms of the speed, like it's called fast fashion. If you think about high fashion or couture or like things that are shown at fashion week, there are almost two seasons a year, like spring, summer and fall, winter. And they spend a ton of time creating these collections and thinking through trends and things that will last a long time. Whereas with fast fashion, if you think about stores like H&M, new clothes come out every week. There are almost 52 seasons a year. And so it's about producing clothes really quickly, getting them out to the market quickly, creating new trends so that people are always having to buy new clothes. Um, So it's really about the speed. It's like fast, 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 just producing quickly, making new trends quickly and getting people to buy more stuff all the time. It's really incredible when you put it that way that there's 52 seasons a year because when you go on websites like H&M and Forever 21, you're seeing sales constantly every week. You can go on basically every day and there's new clothes. So I know that this is having a huge impact on the environment. Can you talk about the impacts that the fast fashion industry has on the environment? I can talk about some of the supply chain impacts. Um, If you think about like how clothes are produced, you start with a material that could be cotton, which is a crop that needs to be grown. It needs land. It needs good soil. It needs water. Um, Traditional cotton often uses pesticides. And then you think about the next step. So you dye the material. There's a huge wastewater problem with like toxic dyes, especially in India. Um, If you think about denim, denim doesn't start out blue. It has to be dyed blue. And a lot of factories around the world are in countries that don't have strict environmental policy. And so those, that material is dyed with oftentimes toxic chemicals that are then just released into local rivers. So that's a huge environmental issue. And then also when you think about supply chains, you think about transportation. So there are very few clothes that are made in the US currently. A lot of them come from Asia, especially. And so if you think about the type, the amount of transportation that it takes to get one t-shirt from the factory to the port, to the ship or to the airplane, to the distribution center in the US, and then to your door, especially if you order it online, it's a ton of transportation related emissions. Um, so those are some of the supply chain things that I always think about when it comes to environmental emissions and impacts. Yeah. And then just thinking about like the go-to-market process, you think about all of the marketing, all of the events, all of that energy that it takes really to get something out to the consumers. And even just in that process of shipping, you know, you have to think about like the garments or the footwear or whatever it is you're trying to 
release, you know, it has to be protected in some way. So then that's what I have had some experience with is the apparel or footwear of poly bags, which is like a low density polyethylene product of the petroleum industry. And, um, you know, you think about tagging and you think about all of these specifics that is just for this one retailer. And there is really just a lot of waste that comes around protecting the garment before it's even, you know, transferred to a new hanger and store. Um, also thinking about just like the window displays and the marketing that goes around um, the fashion industry, it changes all the time. And basically, you know, a good stat for retailers is like every three weeks is like when the consumer starts to look for something different if they're familiar with an area. So a lot of places are changing out their window displays and all these components so often that, you know, aside from growing the cotton, aside from making better material choices and having better material management on the front end of it, you have retail employees that are being loaded with a lot of the impact as well and trying to divert that. And it just really becomes like a crazy situation because malls and retailers and all of these different like lease spaces have different rules around waste reductions. I know window displays are something that I personally would have never even thought about before you brought that up. What are stores doing with all of the materials that they're using for the storefront displays if they're changing them out so often? It's, you know, it's definitely really different for all retailers. I mean, I, my hope is that a lot of them are thinking about reuse um, but the reality of it is if you are thinking about like if your store is inside of a mall or, you know, if you don't have a lot of, you know, the foot space inside, you want to optimize that for your customer and not necessarily in storage. So, you know, like Barney's and so many of like the like old school retailers were known for their windows. And I mean, if you were using it, you have to think about like are people being attracted to that too? So, you know, at the present moment, I feel like, yes, retail employees might take some of the things that are from a window display if they know that it's allowed to be given away or donated, but also just going along with the pace of the industry, things are so fast that not everyone is trying to think of a strategic solution to waste. So a lot of it really is just being tossed. For someone who wants to start making more sustainable choices when it comes to fashion, what are some good first steps that you recommend to a consumer? I think the easiest thing to do when you're starting out is to just ask yourself a bunch of questions before you buy something. Like, do I need this? Am I going to wear it more than once? Am I going to wear it for a long time? Like, is it super trendy? and something that I'm not gonna wanna wear a few months or a year from now? Is it something that is produced ethically? Do I know where it's made? Do I know the company who's making it? What material is it made of? Like questions like that. I think if you break up that fast fashion consumer mindset, that's just like, buy, buy, buy. The more you ask yourself, the more you can think consciously about your purchases. And even if you end up buying a fast fashion item, if it's something that you're going to cherish and wear for a long time, that's a good stepping stone toward buying sustainably made clothes. 
And that really is all a part of just being a more conscious consumer. And I feel like there's also a lot of digital platforms now that can help you with that. I know there are apps where you literally can upload photos of what's in your closet and sift through it and pair outfits for yourself and plan your week out. So if that's something that appeals to some people, then, you know, that's their route to making sure that they're actually utilizing what they have before they go out. And I think also um, with apps like that or literally just understanding what you own, you know that when you go out to purchase something or if you're just like scrolling on your phone and an ad comes up that it might be something that you like, you can immediately actually think back to yourself and know that you have something in your closet that's similar or you have something to wear with it if you are willing to make that purchase um, and make it last. Yeah, I think it's really important to start with what you already have. Like the most sustainable clothes are what you already have in your closet. And I started just as an experiment doing a closet audit today. So I'm making a pretty in-depth spreadsheet of everything that I have in my closet. And I'm up to like 150 items of clothes and I'm nowhere near done. And I'm someone who has been on a conscious consumerism journey for four years now. And just knowing that I have probably 200 pieces of clothing in my closet, I just like don't want to shop ever again. <laughs> like I know that I have so much great stuff in my closet and going through the act of looking at each item and just knowing that number of items that I own. Um, yeah, definitely shocks your system a little bit when you think about shopping. I think that's a great idea just to even look into your own closet and see what you already have. And then it's amazing to know that there's resources out there that you can easily utilize when you're shopping, like the apps that you mentioned, Caitlin. And I think too, so I just always love to brag on Megan, but so she can tell you more about this, but she's been doing a lot of thrift flips lately, which are really rejuvenating her closet. And I understand that not everyone knows how to sew and it could just be a new journey for people or it could, you know, be asking a friend to help you do something if you are one wanting to really utilize what you have. But I've been using a lot of natural dyes lately and um, definitely turmeric works the best. But if you're willing to, you know, get some stained hands from avocado pits and beets, it's worth it also. Yeah, I actually was just looking into the natural dyeing and the color that the avocado pits creates is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's stunning. And there's so many different options. I was looking at black currants the other day because it kind of produced like a really light periwinkle indigo-y color. But, you know, right now when we have so much time or where we're privileged to have so much time really to think through those decisions, I think that it's, you know, it's not just kids that are being provided little science experiments at home to be entertained with. You know, we can definitely unleash some creative aspects of ourselves, And I feel like I've been able to do that during this time and have kind of shocked myself with how good they've come out. So it's definitely worth a little Google. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely have the time right now to be learning some of these new dyeing techniques and have fun with the clothes that you already have in your closet. Megan, I'd love to hear a little bit more about these thrift flips that you've been doing. Yeah, so I would call myself a little bit of a thrift addict. <laughs> I live right down the street from a Goodwill and grew up going to thrift stores. I even worked at a thrift store in high school merchandising their windows. 
So thrifting has always had a special place in my heart. And whenever I feel like I need to buy a new piece of clothing or I want something new, I always try to go secondhand. And so over the past year, especially, I've accumulated a ton of thrifted items. And I was doing a closet clear out a few weeks ago, just getting rid of some things and selling some things that I no longer wore and realized I had a ton of stuff that had potential, but just either didn't fit right or I didn't like the length of it. And I have a sewing machine. So over the past few weeks, I've kind of gotten back into sewing and flipping some things. I started off just making things shorter or changing the length of the sleeves, but over time I've started getting a little more crafty. I made my own shirt completely from extra material from a skirt that I made shorter. Wow. Which is kind of my first time ever sewing something from scratch. And yeah, I don't know. It's given me a better appreciation for the clothes that I already have, just to be able to see them have a better potential, just give them a second life. Um, I think it's important to work with what I already have. And especially now that I can't go out thrift shopping, um, it's been nice to feel like I have a new piece of clothing um, when I haven't had to go out and shop anywhere, just really shopping my own closet. I'd love to talk about thrifting. This is something that I've done for a really long time. My mom has been thrifting for a really long time and introduced me to it as I was growing up. And I can remember when I was younger, like in middle school, um, me and my mom would go to Goodwill all the time and buy secondhand clothing. And I can remember people thinking like, ew, that's really gross. Or why would you need to go there when you can just buy something new? And now it's funny because thrifting is the new trendy, cool thing to do. Could you guys talk about why thrifting is an important part of the sustainable fashion journey for people? It's important because thrifting, literally in its simplest terms, you know, it's a means to like exchange something. So a lot of the times I feel like when people are going thrifting, they are also donating. So it's an important part of your process of understanding sustainable fashion that you have to understand that you should also be donating really good quality items because it's easy for when people first get into thrifting to be kind of discouraged that they're not seeing a lot of these really nice antique jacket like gucci camisole i don't know (laughs) and you have to get past that point because but i think it's also like an important part of people having to see that a lot of crappy stuff is donated and that really should be able to kind of enliven your thought process about like, well, oh, well, what am I donating? What is the quality of this? And, you know, how can I literally just make a better impact on another part of the fashion industry that keeps going? Thrifting is also a good way to just extend the useful life of clothes that are already made. Like there are so many resources that go into making new clothing. And there are so much clothing in the world that exists right now that isn't new and that still has years left of its life. So that's kind of why I started thrifting or got back into thrifting in college. Once I was a more conscious consumer, I knew that there were just so many clothes out there that maybe needed a button fixed or just something simple to give it a few more years of its life. 
Um, so I think that's probably part of the reason why thrifting has come back into the conversation, sustainable fashion or sustainable consumers started normalizing thrift shopping and then people saw, oh, we can buy cheap stuff and some of it's cool and it's trendy and it's unique. Um, so it's become a lot more popular over the past few years, but there has been a stigma. I remember growing up, I didn't want to talk about the hand-me-downs that I got or the stuff that I got at, the, at a thrift store because everyone was talking about brand names. So exactly. on one hand, I am really glad that it's become more mainstream, but like Caitlin said, you have to be a responsible thrifter. You can't just buy everything in the store and not donate anything or only donate t-shirts with like holes and stains on them that won't end up getting sold. Yeah. And there's also like further, I just had to grab this book from my shelf because I did want to talk about it, but um, I was able to read the travels of a t-shirt in a global economy. I just started that. And it literally, it just brings up really from like a very unbiased view of the industry, understanding the impact on the front end and then understanding, you know, once you're down, once you donate your clothes, only about 10% of that is actually resold to someone from thrift stores. Wow. So there, yeah. And there is a lot of, you know, these excess garments that are either being basically shredded into, into some sort of like, like industry rag and, or it's being shipped to other countries where people are going through it and they have like their own market and buyer process. But it's like, it's just this exchange of goods that it it's basically becomes like garbage. And, you know, people in all different countries are literally having to sort through what we're already done with and try to figure out like if this is good for them, but at the same time, it's also hurting their local markets when they're trying to produce their own clothing. So there is a whole other set of impacts, you know, once you donate your clothes and if that's not being done responsibly. That's a really good point to remember to donate your clothes, especially right now. I feel like literally everyone is going through their house and organizing it and getting rid of stuff. And I can't remember the exact statistic, but I heard something crazy the other day about how many items of clothing are just dumped in the landfill rather than donated. And it's such an easy thing to do to find the nearest drop-off location for either a Goodwill or Salvation Army or any other thrift store. And you can really make an impact, a positive impact on the environment by donating your clothes rather than it going to sit in a landfill for however many years. And also just thinking too, you know, if there's a, a direct exchange, you know, I've done so many clothing swaps with my friends and that has become normalized in my life. So it's definitely something that I really urge people to get into more. Or if you, if you have something that you really just don't make use of and you know someone that it would look good on, it's kind of like a, it's another way of having a meaningful gift where you actually thought about it on your friend and you can exchange this and it's not as much of a thoughtless like discard because you know it's being put to good use and with that I'll also say you know whenever you do want to donate make sure you're looking for localized places that can benefit like I know a lot of animal shelters can obviously benefit from different um, like discarded textiles but also like uh, Project Safe that is in Athens, Georgia, you know, they benefit women um, 
and anyone who has had to run from a really unsafe situation and needs clothing and needs literally anything that people will give them to, you know, try to start a new life. So it doesn't always have to be like the goodwill or the salvation army, like the major players in the donation game. That's a really good point. We've been speaking a lot about being a conscious consumer. And one of the things, if you want to be a conscious consumer, to be wary of is something called greenwashing, which is basically where a brand is promoting themselves as being sustainable or environmentally friendly, but is actually part of the problem. Can you talk about this concept of greenwashing and how it relates to the fashion industry? I think that the fashion industry has nearly just launched themselves onto this new trend of greenwashing because, you know, it's literally shown in all of the consumer insights that millennials and Gen Z especially is, are buying with their values. And if you don't have a value system, people are cutting you off because they can get the same thing from somewhere else. And it, yeah, I don't know. It's just always been really funny to me that it's literally just another trend for people to greenwash. But, you know, it's something where everybody does want to feel good about what they do for the most part. So it's easy when you see a company greenwashing to just be like, oh, great. I don't really have to change my lifestyle. I don't really have to look far into this and I'll still feel good about it. But just being a more conscious consumer really is delving into that and understanding more about your own value system and what you stand for. So I think greenwashing just in my own life helped me navigate what my values are and what I want companies to have. Um, and that's how it's actually helped me in my journey. But for a lot of people, it just continues to alter their buying habits, not really in a positive way. Yeah, I think in relation to the fashion industry, it has for so long been such a secretive and competitive industry. Like nobody wanted to share. I mean, even now still, you're not allowed to walk around if you're wearing samples and you have to be careful about talking about the trends for the next season. You don't want those secrets getting out. Um, and sustainability is all about collaboration and transparency. And so those two things are just, they just don't go together. Like it takes a major change in the industry and at the way you look at business to do sustainability without greenwashing. I think the example that comes to mind when I think of like true sustainability in fashion is Allbirds. I think it was earlier in the fall, they released a letter to the industry saying, this is this naturally based sole of our shoe that we use and we want everyone to be able to use it and the more people that we have that use it the less expensive it is the better it is for businesses the better it is for customers like this is not a secret everybody please come join in with this and that you wouldn't see from a fast fashion brand like that is sustainability whereas greenwashing is like look at this cool initiative we do but if you try to do your research, you can't find transparent information about it. So it's, it's an industry problem. 
I remember when that letter came out because didn't Amazon try to make a knockoff of their shoe and Albert yeah. kind of wrote that as a response saying, we want you to make sustainable products. Like here's our design, but you need to actually implement these sustainable practices. Exactly. Yeah. I think Amazon had an exactly like, it looked like an all birds shoe minus the logo, the same design and everything, but none of the sustainability initiatives that Allbirds has worked for so long to put together into a product. And so I thought that was just an amazing show of their commitment to sustainability to be like, hey, not so cool that you're copying our design, but like, if you're going to do it, <laughs> here's all of our sustainability secrets, please use them. Um, whereas otherwise in the industry, it's just like zipped lips, it's competition everybody's competition you don't look at collaborating in that kind of way i feel like cases like that with amazon too can be so confusing for consumers who are trying to be more conscious because they might see that product and think oh this might be Allbirds or Allbirds is sustainable so maybe this product is sustainable so it kind of makes the whole decision even more confusing for a consumer yeah, greenwashing in general is just really confusing for a consumer. Like H&M has their conscious collection. And I remember at the very beginning of my sustainability journey, I was like, well, great. I'll just, whenever I'm going shopping with my friends and they want to go to H&M, I'll just buy the conscious clothes. But the thing is, even within the conscious collection, they can say they have a green tag on top that says made with recycled materials. And then you look at the actual clothing label inside the garment and it's like 5% recycled. And so you think you're doing this great thing and you're supporting this amazing initiative that's gonna change H&M, but you're not. And you wouldn't know unless you were a crazy person like me and looked at the, the clothing label <laughs> inside. So it's just like, it's tricky. It's really unethical in my opinion. They're trying to trick consumers into thinking that they're doing something good. And like Kate said, it's it's a marketing trend. It's a trend in the industry to be cool and sustainable and transparent, but um, it's hard to accomplish. It takes a lot of supply chain work to be able to certify that something's organic cotton or that it's fair trade certified. Like that, those aren't easy things to do, but it is easy to cop out and just say like made ethically or made with sustainable materials and not back that up. How can a consumer go about even trying to differentiate between all these companies? Is there something that a consumer can look for in a brand? Or how do you recommend a consumer telling the difference between a company that is actually implementing sustainable practices or they're greenwashing you? I think one of the telltales is if they actually release a report on their website, like an actual like research document that is specifically tailored to their business. Because when I first started getting into this and I started looking for more sustainable retailers, I got like discouraged in a sense that a lot of people have goals. So a lot of what greenwashing is too is like goal setting and there's really no oomph behind that goal setting. So understanding really the path that they're going to use to actually get there 
um, and just seeing like if on their website they're advocating for that because it's so easy to put something on Instagram and then not be able to really click through and read about it. Yeah, I agree. Looking for any kind of like sustainability report, but also reading it with a bit of grain of salt. Like I really appreciate Reformation sustainability reports. They release one every quarter, I believe. And they talk very honestly about their goals and how they're doing. And I remember last year they had a goal of having all of their factory workers earn a living wage and they were really slow to adopt that goal. And they were honest about it, that these are the issues we're having. We're prioritizing this for the next quarter and they made progress there. But I knew that they were committed to sustainability by showing that transparency. Like, yes, these are our goals, but also here's how we're doing. And it's not all like we're meeting all of our goals. It's like some of these were doing really well, some are more difficult. And it's that like commitment that you see from the brand to being transparent that I feel like is an important differentiator. Yeah, just being honest with the consumer and keeping it real about what you're actually working towards and how you're trying to accomplish those goals is really important. One of the main, I guess, complaints I've heard about sustainable fashion is that it's more expensive than quote unquote fast fashion. Can you explain why it is a little more expensive and what your response to that is? Our baseline currently for comparing to see if something is expensive is like a t-shirt being made for 0.5 of a cent. So it's kind of a hard place to start from right there, just because for so long we've really been, our scope is so narrow. <laughs> yeah, we're literally just brainwashed to think that everything can be cheap just because we fit it in the margins before. So it's another exploration of yourself and just understanding how garments are made that you have to know that so many different people's hands touch it along the way. There's an environmental impact. There is so many of these currently externalized costs that really need to be internalized before we start to see a change in the industry and how everyone purchases. But it's also just buying quality over quantity. And I mean, we just, yeah, I just can't elaborate enough that we really just have such a crappy baseline of saying what is expensive in the industry right now. Yeah, I think throughout studying supply chain management, I've gotten a much better understanding of what actually goes into producing a garment. Like like I was talking about earlier with some of the environmental impacts, like you have to grow a crop or produce a synthetic material to just get the textile. And then it moves to a different factory where it's cut and it's sewn. And then maybe it's printed somewhere else or it's embroidered somewhere else. And then it's shipped somewhere and then shipped to the, to the end customer. So there's a lot of people that touch each garment throughout the supply chain before it even gets to a store or online. And there's a lot of resources that go into it. So if you start to get a better idea of how production works, it, you can see how it makes sense that sustainable clothes are more expensive but like Kate was saying like a big part of my conscious consumerism journey has been just buying less so instead of buying 
$50 jeans from American Eagle once a year for like five years. I buy one pair of $150 jeans from Reformation that are sustainably and ethically made that last me five years. So it's, it's, it's a more, it's a bigger investment up front, but it will last you longer. And you're investing in the processes that are in place to make that happen sustainably. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of things going on and it's definitely a complicated issue, but so yes, sustainable clothes are more expensive, but you also have to slow down your consumption habits and then you'll end up seeing that you'll save money. I spend less money on clothes now than I did in high school when all I bought was fast fashion. And that's not because sustainable clothes are less expensive. It's because the way I think about buying clothes has changed. And it seems like when you're only buying something that's going to last a really long time, it's all going to balance out in the end. You're going to either end up spending the same amount of money or less because the sustainable products that you're buying are going to last you a lot longer than that t-shirt you're buying from Forever 21 that's probably going to rip after the fifth time you wear it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think think it just overall solidifies like the circularity of fashion and how obviously like if you cherish a garment for so long and if you have stories attached to it, then when you are ready to pass it on to someone or donate it, like it's literally like donating a piece of you rather than, you know, just something that you just really haven't thought of. And I think that's what I like the most about the sustainable fashion movement is that it actually connects people to why they're wearing what they're wearing. And, you know, whenever, like if I say I got something from girlfriend or if I got something from reformation, that's just a story in itself and how you can spread more outreach about the fashion industry and what you can do to do better. So I just think it, Overall, there's just so much more tied to a garment that has quality rather than one that you're just wearing to throw away. It makes it more of a personal choice and a personal relationship to that item of clothing that you're buying rather than just buying something without even thinking about it. Yeah. So much of the marketing of fast fashion brands is only focused on price. Like it's like, look at this cool top that's $2 or look at this cool dress that's $10. Whereas with slow fashion and sustainable fashion, it's much more connected to the storytelling of the piece, like how it was made and where the materials came from. Um, So it gives you a greater appreciation for the garment itself, which is just completely different from how it works in fast fashion. When you talk about all that goes into making one item of clothing, it's kind of insane to think about buying something for, let's say, $5, knowing all of the steps and all of the materials and resources and time and energy that went into making that one item of clothing. It definitely has to be worth a lot more than what you're paying for it. Yeah, a statistic that also really has stuck with me over the years is that 80% of garment workers around the world are women. And as someone who considers myself an intersectional feminist, if my feminism doesn't include fighting for the rights of the people that are making my clothes, then I have some work to do. And so if you think about a $5 t-shirt that you have, there's no way that that woman somewhere in the world is being paid fairly. Um, so yeah, it's, it is crazy to think about how 
clothes can be sold for so cheap. It's like scary. I get chills. This brings up a topic that I really wanted to talk about with you both. Right now, we are facing the coronavirus around the entire world, and we're seeing a lot of the impacts on a daily basis, whether it's the lines that you see of people trying to get food at the food bank or people that you know or are in your family who are getting sick or sadly even passing away from this virus. But I think one of the lesser known effects of the coronavirus has been on garment workers. So I really want you guys to hit on that and how the coronavirus has been impacting the fashion industry and especially garment workers. So I was thinking about this and I kind of wanted to preface with right now we're in Fashion Revolution Week. So Fashion Revolution was started in, a couple years ago, like in 2013, after the Rana Plaza collapse in Bangladesh um, that affected thousands of people. And that's literally just one of the many incidents that really plagues the fashion industry because there are unsafe working conditions. For anyone who, who doesn't know who's listening, could you give a little background on that incident? Yes. So... I, be- I think it was called the Dhaka factory. Yeah, it was um, in Dhaka, Bangladesh, a yeah. particular area. And basically, the garment workers were essentially forced into going back into work, even though they knew that the conditions of the building were not stable and were not a safe working environment. Um, and it collapsed, and there were fatalities, and there were so many people affected. And that is really one of like the biggest voices that has started the sustainable fashion movement. And I think it's really interesting how that was a couple of years ago and hearing about it was awful and talking about it is still awful. And I want us to be at a better place now and we are moving there, but currently um, in Bangladesh alone, there's over 4.1 million garment workers that are like put out of work and affected by coronavirus right now. Wow. And it, so I got that from the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association. But, you know, there, there are so many people, you know, we think just from our lens, like I think about the people that work with me at Vans and I think about retail employees. Then you have to think about the people that actually produce the garment and how the industry is so fragmented right now that all of those people are being left behind and really not being put into consideration of, you know, like the health care and the aid and the monetary support that should be provided to everyone along the supply chain that keeps a lot of these like global, huge brands going. During Fashion Revolution Week, I always think about the idea of ownership, like the reason why the Rana Plaza factory collapse became such a global news story, aside from the amount of people that unfortunately passed in the building collapse, was that the companies that had clothes being produced there didn't know that they had clothes being produced there. Like that it was a subcontracted factory, so they weren't working directly with that factory. It was being subcontracted out. Mm. And so those brands a lot of times in the fashion industry, brands don't feel a responsibility for subcontracted factories because they're not technically working directly with those factories. So that's where a lot of stuff gets swept under the rug and where a lot of ethical issues come into play. 
And I feel like with COVID-19, it's also bringing to light again, this idea of ownership and like taking responsibility for the people who are making products for your company. And I still think that there's a major disconnect between companies taking that responsibility, which is really unfortunate. It shows how sustainable fashion and just the fashion industry in general is has so many different aspects that are related to sustainability. It's a feminist issue. It's an environmental issue. It's an economic issue. And there's just so many impacts and a lot of people don't actually think about the people who are making the items that we're buying. And a lot of them are in foreign countries. And I read that there's 40 million garment workers across the world and 4 million of them alone are in Bangladesh and they're being put out of work right now because we aren't buying as many things right now or a lot of the items were returned. What are some of the sustainable fashion companies doing right now? Are they doing anything to take a stand for the garment workers? So there was a campaign that was launched by a nonprofit called Remake and it's called Pay Up. So they're having people sign a petition to a lot of these like gargantuan companies that essentially had put in orders at these factories and then the supplier and manufacturer, they front the bill in the beginning. And then once everything is ready made and an invoice is created, it is shipped and then it's paid for. So pay up is to basically get the money that should have been paid to the factory because there are ready-made garments already created, but the orders were just canceled. So, you know, I think there's a lot of smaller people reaching out to companies and trying to get them to talk about that. Yeah, I think a lot of the conversation when it comes to the supply chain is now that some companies are shifting toward making PPE that garment workers and even people working in distribution centers and logistics that are picking the items that you order online into the box and then shipping it out they're now considered essential workers Mm. and so there's a conversation about is that the ethical thing for a company to do like yes ppe is needed around the world but you need to treat the workers that have now become essential like essential employees they should be paying they should be paid hazard pay and they should be in a safe workspace that's six feet apart um so that's one conversation that's going on in supply chains but i also think the pay up issue is just bringing to light how complex the fashion supply chain is and how some processes that are in place like only paying for things on arrival might not make sense it might make sense in a non-coronavirus world where orders are regularly shipped and regularly produced but i think going forward there'll be a major change at least for the companies that are really committed to their supply chain and all of the people that are in it around the world um, i just don't know if that's a sustainable way to do business moving forward. So that also has been kind of a conversation in the supply chain world, just how, how the payment works and that whole process. I think moving forward, whenever we're back to some sort of normal, 
what we can hope for is that this virus brought some of these issues to light and that people are going to be a little more aware of the decisions that they're making when they buy something from the store, especially an item of clothing, and they can think about who's making that and the working conditions that they're in. Moving forward onto something a little less serious, Megan, you are considered to be a micro-influencer and you have been teaching so many people on Instagram and now TikTok about how they can be more sustainable with their fashion choices. When did you decide to take your love of sustainable fashion onto a social media platform? And what has that been like being able to reach so many different people from all over the world? I think I mentioned earlier that I started a fashion blog in high school and it was called Tunes and Tunics and it was all about fashion and music So I loved going to concerts. And I kept that blog all through high school and all through college and I talked all about fast fashion. I was like, my tagline was fashion on a babysitter's budget. And I would just show my fast fashion items, like all of the new cheap stuff that I bought. And so when I came and I was already on social media, I was already on Instagram and um, Pinterest and things like that. And when I came to college and had this like sustainable fashion awakening, I knew that I couldn't continue talking about fashion in the way that I had on my blog. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't feel good about shopping fast fashion myself. I knew that I couldn't continue promoting it to other people. And so my blog kind of has been my whole conscious consumerism journey. Like you see how I was before. If you want to go through the depths of my blog from eight years ago, see me in high school. Um, But like that's still on the internet. And then my first year of college, I was very open about a lot of the issues that I was facing with transitioning away from fast fashion and um, starting to invest in more sustainable pieces. And I think that journey and having such a public journey toward becoming a more conscious consumer has been, has really resonated with a lot of people on social media. Like when I got into sustainable fashion originally, I followed a ton of zero waste bloggers and all these people that had trash jars. And I just felt like I could never become that person with a trash jar. It was just so far away from the life that I was living. So I didn't necessarily feel motivated, but I feel like I can be a bit more of a motivating force for people on social media because I'm not a perfect, sustainable person. I'm very clear about my progress, not perfection motto. I just think it's not realistic to think that you can be a perfectly sustainable person that just doesn't exist and everyone has their own issues and privileges that make their sustainable lifestyle or sustainable shopping habits look different so it's been really interesting being on social media and especially like as Kate was saying I've been doing a lot of thrift flips on TikTok so expanding into different kinds of social media and connecting with people in a different way Um, I just try to keep it personal and make people feel like I'm not a lifestyle to try to reach as this like perfect example of a sustainable lifestyle. Just try to keep it real. I have my, I have my problems as time goes on. (laughs) We all do. Well, and it's like you said, we want brands to just be honest about what they're trying to achieve 
in their business models. So that's exactly what you're doing. Just being something, someone relatable and someone who's being honest about their journey. And it really is all about the progress. No one's going to be perfect at anything. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's not easy becoming a conscious consumer and really changing the way that you look at fashion and the world in general. And so I don't think it helps anyone to make it seem like it's easy. And that's so awesome that you're on TikTok now because I feel like a lot of the younger generation is on TikTok now. So you're going to be reaching this whole new audience of children or teenagers who are about to kind of start making their own decisions when it comes to buying clothes. So that's really cool that you could have a big impact on that generation. Yeah, it's been a cool platform to engage on. Gen Z is quite the generation and it's been cool to engage with people on there. Where can listeners find you on these various social media platforms? So my blog and my Instagram and my TikTok are all activism, like activism, but with a t-shirt in there. (laughs) Um, So A-C-T-E-E-V-I-S-M. Yeah, that's, I rebranded my blog in college. Actually, just this year, I just rebranded to um, focus more on my activism through fashion instead of concerts and fast fashion like in high school. (laughs) I personally follow your account and it's really inspirational and there's a lot of super great and fun ideas of how you can start incorporating sustainable choices into your fashion journey. Thanks. Do you guys have any recommendations of any other maybe social media influencers or resources? I know you mentioned your book earlier, Caitlin, that you're reading. Um, Do you guys have any other ones that are good for people to look into? I really enjoy following and listening to Kestrel Jenkins. And I know Megan also likes well. Um, She has a podcast called Conscious Chatter. And we were also able to go to one of her events with Elizabeth Klein and have her like moderate and talk about more of your like wardrobe crisis that's going on. Um, but I'm trying to think also like global fashion exchange is a really cool account that I like to follow as well as trash is for tossers. That is the like founder of package free shop. So she, she like pretty much keeps it real also on her social media and helps you understand a lot of the different outlets for being more sustainable in your lifestyle. Yeah, I also really like Fashion Revolution's social media pages and their website. They just have a ton of information and really good statistics about the fashion industry in general. And that's where I learned a lot in the beginning about the issues in the fashion industry. So it's Fashion Revolution Week now, so they're spitting out content like nobody's business this week. But throughout the year, they still have great resources. Yeah, they're, they're great. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to share your own sustainable fashion journeys with us. I think there's some really great advice and information throughout this episode. And before I let you guys go, I like to end on a positive note. What are you guys hopeful about right now? I think I'm hopeful about the changes that will come in the fashion industry as a result of the coronavirus situation, as horrible as it is. I think it's giving a lot of us time to really think about what we want regular life 
to look like once we go back. Um, so I think that I'm really hopeful that we'll come out of this with a better understanding and appreciation for all of the people and the garment workers throughout the fashion supply chain. And hopefully moving forward, they will be more center um, to decision-making at the brand level. Absolutely agreed. I definitely can't word it any better than that. That's a true statement. But yes, I'm hopeful that out of all of this, that people, I used to say this all the time and think it was so quirky, but um, that people will become more materialistic after this experience. So a lot of the time that just has such a bad stigma around it that people are, oh, like you're so materialistic. But I mean, even down to the bare necessities, people are truly appreciating what they have and they're finding new purposes for it and new ways to do things. And at the end of the day, people will really start to grasp that there are limited materials that we have access to. You know, everything isn't just growth. You know, there are limitations to the environment. There are limitations to our mental health. And I think that through all this, people will just be more conscious about literally everything they're putting themselves around and they will want to also make sure that the favor is returned to other people that they're being treated fairly as well and it's like megan said it's all about progress not perfection so thank you so much caitlin and megan i really enjoyed this episode and i appreciate you guys being here today thanks so much for having us thanks for listening to today's episode If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefullysustainablepod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.